Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that explores the entire spectrum of human emotion. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm having a chat with one of my best mates, it's Denise Van Outen. Heartache is horrible and it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've got, it hurts just as deep. You know, those nights of just sitting there on my patio, three, four o'clock in the morning, just feeling like drained and empty and just thinking I don't know how I'm going to get through the next week because you just feel so broken it's horrible Denise and I met a very long time ago so much so that I can't remember the exact moment that we met but I know she's been in my life for a very long time and we certainly really bonded when we did our Kilimanjaro climb for comic relief again a long time ago Now, obviously, Denise has had an incredible career as a presenter, actor and singer across both stage and screen. And I absolutely adore hearing her sing that voice. She's so talented. Being in the public eye, her relationships and breakups have felt like public property, too. Most notably, she dated singer JK back in the 90s and has a daughter with her ex-husband Lee. Now she's experiencing heartbreak again as the result of infidelity. It's definitely been a really tough time for Denise recently. We've spoken quite a bit over the last few months privately. I've just been checking in with her to see how she's getting on emotionally. So today certainly isn't the first time that we've covered these subjects. So I know that Denise feels safe and comfortable talking about her breakup today to shed a little light on how it's been for her and how she is coping. I so love being able to have this chat with Denise, especially given we could share our experiences of having gorgeous blended families too. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, this is the show. are you Denise? I'm very well Fern, how are you? I'm good, this is wildly strange because we've spent years and years chatting and gossiping and huddled up in a tent having a sort of midnight chat but sort of this dynamic of me interviewing you, I mean it's not really, it is just us having a chat but obviously there is sort of a little route and some stuff I want to discuss today, it's quite weird. It's weird, but also for me, it's very comfortable. Yes. Because you are such a close friend, it's actually nice for me to be able to sit and be open with you. That's, you know, I that's kind of what I want it to always be. But obviously, I have to sometimes cultivate that with people I've never met, which, you know, hopefully still they walk away feeling like it was a nice, safe environment and a safe chat. But yes, certainly another whole layer of comfort because you can probe me first I can probe you (laughs) with comfort and ease a comfortable probe (laughs) we've had so many like big life moments together as well obviously climbing Kilimanjaro which was for both of us 
so extreme and memorable and impactful. So I mean, you literally saved my life up that mountain. Well, do you know what? I do always look back at that and I think it is such a bonding moment because with you, I've become really good friends, but also Kimberly Walsh has become such a close friend as well. And you don't realise it at the time when you're doing it, do you actually, the impact it'll have on your life going forward. But there are those moments where, you know, I've had personal issues and things that have happened to me because we've been through that together you would be the first person I would turn to. Same with Kimberly, and the same for you and her would come to me because you've just gone through something that's quite challenging in your life that nobody else could ever understand. Yeah, it is that shared experience because I remember even getting back from Kilimanjaro and trying to have chats with people about it and them going, oh, cool. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you don't get it. And you do need to sort <laughs> of like reminisce with someone who really understood it. And, of course, there was a point in that trip where I... I don't know what I had altitude sickness or some stomach bug going on. I was like blacking out in the middle of the night. And throwing up. Throwing up. <laughs> and you, in our two man tent. Thank you. And then very sweetly, we had this amazing doctor called Raj. And he had to sleep in between us. It was the weirdest threesome ever. Weirdest threesome <laughs> ever. I mean, just ridiculous. I but... think he spooned me because he didn't. <laughs> he literally was like, You were. We finally got you to sleep after you'd been vomiting everything. And I think he was just thinking, I don't want to go down that end because she's just been sick and her breath stinks. (laughs) So I had him down my head. And I was like, this is very weird because it was quite a small tent anyway. It was small. But then with three of us and Raj in the middle of us. (laughs) Raj had been known for four days just spooning you. But it was amazing. And then we did our trek through Peru, the Inca Trail for um, breast cancer. Was it breast cancer? Breast cancer care. Care. Yeah. Which was so beautiful with an amazing group of women. And then also another thing I was thinking yesterday was, of course, you were there the night I met my husband. Which was a huge life moment, selfishly, for me. I know. And I always think of that. It was an amazing night. And also just how your life just changed overnight. I know. You know, you suddenly became a grown up. Sort of after seeing up. you in a well, you know, after being because we'd seen each other in LA as well. Do you remember? Yeah, when oh you my fell over. God. Oh my god, I got so drunk. So we went to this like quite fancy restaurant, and I don't. I think I was single at the time, and I was like, let's just see where the night takes me, sort of thing. And you know, when you're sat down, I was drinking mojitos, and I could. I'm such a lightweight now, but I could really put it away then. And I don't know how many I'd had. And I felt fine until I got up to go to the loo and I literally stacked it, like, in front of the whole of this posh LA restaurant. Awful, awful. It was a proper comedy fall. It was a proper comedy fall. But we've had some amazing moments, like, beautiful memories and just stuff that will always be in my heart, which I love. But even so, even though I know you very intimately... Reading your book, this new book, A Bit of Me, I learned loads about you that I didn't know. Probably more about your childhood because it's not like you often get into that sort of conversation when you're on a night out or whatever. But it was so interesting. And the things that I guess I underestimated were how driven you were from a young age, but also how self-sufficient you were. Because as soon as you'd got a place at Sylvia Young's, you were sort of at that point then relentlessly working to make money to pay your own school fees because it's obviously an extortionately expensive thing to go to a private school like that like to a drama school dance school but that for you was like no hardship you were like I'm doing it I'm putting the work in and I just found that amazing reading that section yeah do you know what I think a lot of people have said that to me that even like my closest friends like yourself have said they had no idea sort of how hard I worked when I was a kid and that's where my work ethic comes from now you know in later years but I think at that time, 
for me, I, it was never about money. It was never about fame. I absolutely loved what I do for a living. Do you know, and it was from such a young age, from like seven years old. I loved singing, dancing, performing. There was such a passion for it that I just had the drive came from that really. And obviously, I don't come from a money family. My parents were very fair with the three of us. So my brother and sister they were like, we can't send one kid to a private school because that's what my drama school was, and they go to a state school. So I was like, well. The only way I can really make it work is if I pay for it myself. And that's why I worked so hard at school, because every single job that I went for, I had to get. Because I thought, if I don't get it, then I can't be in school next term. So I had that drive from a young age, but also I was I was so passionate. And I still am today. It's never, ever left me. I love what I do. Sometimes I go and do a show and I perform and I don't even think about the fact that I'm getting paid for it, that it's a job, because I absolutely love it. Mm, it's, it it's so apparent. And I think... You know, we both sort of started our career in that way of just being in love with like the craft of it and learning the skill set. But of course, so much other stuff comes with it that you don't want. And that's happened, you know, for both of us, for most people that end up in this weird industry that we're in. That there's all sorts of stuff that you just think, I hadn't, I hadn't even imagined that that was part of this job because you were doing it because you loved dancing, singing and acting. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I ended up presenting and thought, this is fine. I'll, you know, keep trying at this. But it's it's not a sort of linear ascent to this place where you go, oh, I've made it. I'm in the land of showbiz. It's a really bumpy ride. Have you ever had periods where you thought, actually, it the balance has tipped. It's not worth it. Like the passion is there, but it's just not worth it. Yeah, not, be, not with professional work, because I've always felt that I can always sort of bounce back from anything because I've been fortunate enough to go to a theatre school and train in everything. There are downtimes in my career. You know, I've had some moments where I've been panned by the critics and it's hard to get yourself back out there. But I always kind of know and trust myself that I can turn my hand to something. But I do think in personal relationships, when my relationships have suffered, that's the moments when sometimes I've gone, maybe I am working too hard or perhaps I should take this should take a bit of a back seat. But at the end of the day, it's also my saviour. You know, because it's the first thing that I go to when things yeah. do go wrong. I throw myself into work and then I end up thriving in my work as well. And it's typical, isn't it? When things go wrong in your personal life, everything seems to go well, you know, in your career. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard to find that balance. But I think that's the only time. I don't think there's ever been a situation where I've read like a news story about myself or if there's been a, a bad review that has made me think, oh, I don't want to do it. It's always just related to how I'm feeling inside, like personally that's and emotionally. Amazing. That's like a lot of resilience. I don't think I have that resilience. Yeah, but I think I got that from working from such a young age. I think from the age of seven, I was going for jobs and I was getting rejected. And I don't take rejection badly. Really? No, no I really don't. I don't. And I get so frustrated with young performers when I hear them talking and they've lost their confidence because of a bad review or a critic or... Because I just think, I always see it that that's something that I can just move on from, you know, and then just do something else or better myself. I don't see it as a negative. Mm. And to be honest with you, half the time I don't read it. Yeah. If I do a show, I never read the reviews. I know if they're good or bad, because someone will always tell me. There's always someone that calls Ooh, you They up. love having a little chat about that, don't they? Yeah. Why will people always do that, but never sort of talk about things that have gone well? I've had people come up to me at, like, weddings and say... Oh, I read that ask. I'm like, no, I don't want. I don't want to know. I don't. I haven't read it. I don't want to know. Like, it's such a bizarre phenomenon that people love to do that. But I do think it's exceptional because, you know, it it isn't easy being rejected. And I think, you know, sometimes I've gone through parts of my career where I haven't been phased by it, and I've thought I'm picking myself back up. I'm not going to let them win. I'm going to keep going. 
But then I think incrementally a feeling builds up and then I go, oh my God, I actually can't take this anymore. And I sort of hit a bit of a wall. So I do, you know, I always look to you and admire that quality that you have because you've you've never given up and you've you're such a grafter. You've always just got stuck in. And sort of interesting hearing you talk there about when it's affected other parts of your life because there's a period in the book where it's very exciting, the whole 90s section of the book, like Concords and helicopters to Glastonbury. Can you believe how much I could remember? I know. <laughs> I mean, when I sat down to write it, I literally was thinking... Very accurate. You know, this is going to be really hard because it will be a complete blur. But do you know what? We had just normal cameras then, you know, when you yeah. print, print your pictures. And actually, I found that I remembered so much because I've got boxes at home of old photographs and they triggered all my memories. Thank God. Oh, it's so lovely having actual pictures I to know. look at. We need to print out more pictures because it is just a beautiful thing and it does help jog the memory. But that was, you know, you could vividly read that moment of your life because of those photographs and just the wonderful sort of decadence of it and Ferraris and just all sorts of craziness going on. But that was the period of your life where you did actually make a decision and say, right, I'm going to work less to try and keep my relationship at the time with JK going in the right direction. But that was a time where subsequently you felt very lonely. And it was possibly the first time where your drive wasn't moving you in the usual direction. Yeah, and I think that was just purely because I did fall in love with him. So at that age, and I was young, and I did think, oh, you know, because I'd always had this image of myself that I'd said I'd get to 28, I'd be married, I'd have kids. You know, when you're, you're, like, you're a teenager and you yeah. just set yourself like this little um, plan, life plan, and of course, none of that was sort of happening. So I was prepared to do that. Also coming from a family where I come from a very solid family. My mum and dad are still together in their late 70s and they've been together since they were teenagers. So wow. it's all I've ever known. So I've always wanted that solid foundation and that family unit. So for me, it was because I know it seems like it was young for me to say I'm going to take a step back in my career. I'd also worked from the age of seven. So actually I'd had quite a long career up until that point. So I was ready to sort of sit back. But again, you know, the, the relationship then folded and the first thing I went and did was threw myself back into work. Yeah. And of course, as soon as you do that, like I said, it's typical that that job that I threw myself into was Chicago. Mm. And then that just kind of, you know, everything then blew up from there and then all that other work started coming in. So that was such an amazing moment of your life. And we weren't friends at that point, you know, to the extent that we are today. I'm, I'm sure that we'd hung out or met a few times at that point and I came to see you in Chicago but it was just from afar this amazing like you know phoenix rising from the flames where you know your obviously your breakup had been very public and it's awful to go through heartache but then lumping all that on top of it is excruciating but to see you know you in New York on billboards on Times Square and being you know, like a critically acclaimed show I mean that is that's an amazing moment and I'm wondering you know, how did you how did you navigate that time? Because you've got everybody saying, this is amazing, this is it, you're smashing it, it's wonderful. It's one thing to sort of have that kind of boost go on internally, but if you're also going through heartache, that, that's not going to fix the heartache. You've got to do the inner work as well to feel like you're actually, you know, back to, to where you want to be and, and sort of fully 
feeling okay did that did that help you or was it all surface um I think there was a lot of surface there if I'm really honest I think that relationship breakup took me a long time to get over I'm really sensitive yeah so as much as I'm all out there and you know I've got this kind of jazz hands personality I'm actually very very sensitive so when I did that it's only when I look back now that I see it's such an amazing accomplishment that I did that show because at the time all I wanted to was just to run back to England, you know, I was in New York on my own doing the show and I just wanted to get back and I just wanted to see if I could get back with Jay, do you know what I mean? Because I was just so heartbroken. But I would say that it probably did repair me a little bit in as much as the fact that I went to New York, nobody knew me there. So when I did the show in London, the press were all on me, you know, and they were watching every move and, you know, what it's like all these stories were coming out of what he was doing, what I was doing, you know, playing one off against the other and it was driving me mad so to actually go somewhere and be anonymous was an incredible feeling so that did heal me but if I'm really honest the whole time I was there I was probably still quite heartbroken yeah and lonely because you didn't really have lonely but but then I started to in a strange way it was the first time I accepted the loneliness and started to enjoy it because I was so, I was forced to be lonely. You know, it's very easy when you're at home and you're in your own surroundings and you've got your friends that you'd go out for drinks with your mates and you'd try and fill that void. But I was forced to just sit with myself and it was good in that respect. But I wouldn't say that it was, I wouldn't say when I was there I suddenly found happiness. I think that yeah. sort of came much later. But it certainly taught me to be on my own and to be a bit still and just to to accept how I was feeling, mm. you know, without the the glare of the public eye, because I think that's when you're going through something like that and you're, you know, at that particular time, it was just in the papers constantly and you couldn't escape it. Mm. And I hated it because I didn't want it. I just wanted it to go away. Yeah, I mean, and it was such a sort of strange bubble because, you know, in the 90s, there weren't... I mean, who are we talking to the other day about this? Amanda Decadne. There weren't tons of famous people back no. in the day. There were like a lot fewer because there wasn't, you know, the internet. No social media. No social media. There was no sort of influencers or people thriving in that area. So you had all eyes on you. And of course, JK was very famous. You know, you're very famous. And it was just like this implosion of everyone wanting to know what you were doing. And you were also living in quite a strange bubble in the fact that due to JK's job and, and how he was sort of operating on that level... He came with an entourage, which also you weren't on board with. So you had this sort of strange bubble that you were living in. And then all of a sudden that just sort of dissipated. And it was kind of, I guess it must, there must have been a feeling of, right, well, what now? Because you'd been in that for so long and with the hopes that it would continue. Yeah. And it was, I mean, that whole world, because he's from the music world, you know, and it does come with, like you said, an entourage. Yeah. And, you know, it was really, really fun for a period of time, but the the heart of me is not that person. Do you know what I mean? I'm not bothered about flash cars and mansions and entourages and living chefs and I'm just very basic, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So actually, the same. We just want a normal, normal life. Really normal, you know. Normal. I just like to be at home. I like same. to cook. I mean, I do like nice things, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm from Essex, so, you know, <laughs> I love a little bit of a dress-up. But we all love a bit of a dress-up. Yeah, up. but I but like it, basic things. Yeah. And as lovely as it was, that's what that also that taught me as well, is that that life unless you're really really happy and content in it then it's not for me I couldn't make sacrifices you know to just have a certain lifestyle Mm. I have to be true to myself and actually that wasn't me I think when we started the relationship it wasn't like that Mm. it's just and it wasn't Jay's fault at all his career was growing as well and you know and in music it's very different to what I do I mean I've I've 
grown up where sometimes I have to get changed in a toilet and do my own makeup, yeah. you know, at a service station, whereas his was all very like, it was the Grammys and it was all, you know, if he was going to go somewhere, it was private jets and supercars. and. But actually, really, that's just not me. And I think I yeah. kind of perhaps in a weird way... If I look back at that relationship, I sort of fought against it a bit, which probably made it a bit difficult for him because I wasn't comfortable with it. I wasn't comfortable with it. But, I, you know, if he was, then I should have been accepting of that. But I just wanted to just be just quite basic. Yeah, getting dressed <laughs> in not, a bog in You're a never going to be basic with someone who wears hats like Jamiroquai. No, right? no, you're not. <laughs> you're absolutely not. But what fun. And it was an amazing, yeah. amazing part of the book that I I just, I loved reading it so much. And obviously another thing that we've we've talked about, because we've got sort of different variations of this, is a blended family. Because I've got two stepchildren. My husband, um, when I met him, he, he had, well, how old was Lola then? She was five and Arthur was nine. And they're now, you know, big adults. And obviously you co-parent with your ex-partner Lee and I've always so massively admired how you've done that so brilliantly and peacefully and that you and Lee are great friends and you've managed that so well it's so admirable but do you know what that's nice of you to say that thank you but actually he's just such a lovely person yeah I cannot fault him on any level as a father as a friend he's just a really good guy he's a good egg he is you know I've just I was messaging him coming here because we were just sorting out childcare we help each other out he's super busy at the moment because he's doing a theatre play so you know, he was like, can you have Betsy more for over the next two months? I'm going to be away. And we do that for each other. And then I was away on tour and he helped me out. And I'm just, I'm, I think we just both got lucky that we're yeah. both really decent about it. it's rare. That it's, it's very rare. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's the kids that get hurt if you don't do that. And we've always known that. But aside from that, it would probably would have been the same anyway because you just you can't dislike Lee because he's a nice person and no one could dislike you. So you've got two good eggs who well, work well I together. I mean, I've got faults first. <laughs> no, I always so think Lee's wonderful. much nicer than me. I always say with Betsy, like because everyone goes, "Oh, she's such a good kid," and I said, "She's really nice, like her dad, but she's funny like her mum." <laughs> I love that. Oh, lovely Betsy, who's now 12. 12. I know, 12. I mean, I remember standing in your kitchen when she was a newborn baby, sort of hugging her, going, oh, my God, I can't believe you've got a newborn. It was like such a huge moment. And just, she's 12. How has that happened? It goes so fast. But I I do love it. And I've loved it even more as she's got older. I know it can be tricky and parents say that, you know, as they start to get that teenage years. But we are so close. And again, we've been through quite a lot together. It's just just the two of us. I spent five years as a single mum and then obviously been in another long-term relationship. And then I'm back being a single parent again. So we've had a lot of changes. But we're very solid between the two of us. We are like best mates. Mm. And it's lovely. And she is a really good kid. And do you think that... I mean, well, I, this is my assumption because it seems to be apparent that, you know, for a kid to feel very stable through changes like that, the key thing is for you to communicate with them honestly, which isn't always easy, but yeah, it's, it's perhaps hard. the best route. Uh, it's, it is hard. And like even with my most recent breakup, I did, I thought I need to be honest with her because she's coming up to, she was coming up to 12. And, you know, kids have phones now and they're at school and they're going to read things and hear things. So I did have to be completely honest with her. And actually, I'd want to be honest with her. I think it's important with your kids to be have that honesty. But what is really great is, even through all of it, she has got that solid foundation. She's got her dad, you know, and she's always got that constant in her life. So actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's still horrible. Of course, but not, you know, it's still heartbreaking, and it's heartbreaking to have to 
talk to your child about it, but yeah. at the same time, she has got an amazing father. So I guess a lot of the time when when people are going through any sort of changes within a family dynamic, there's that difficulty in navigating, okay, how much do I protect them from what's going on and how much do I let them in on? And I think I still find that with our sort of four kids together, you know, how much do we talk about and how much do we not? I find that one still quite difficult. How do you sort of get that balance right or work out when the right time is to have those conversations? Um, well, I, you know, I can gauge it just with her moods most of the time. Um, but there's still things I probably, I haven't told her and I've held back. Yeah, of course. I, you know, you know me and we've yeah. had conversations, we've spoken over the last few months with everything that's happened and you've been amazing, I have to say. Well. You have really have been a good friend. Um, but there have been moments where I've been really upset and I, you don't want your child to see you upset. You know, because it's a horrible thing. But at the same time, she kind of does need to know as well. I can't just brush everything under the carpet. So it is trying to find that balance. And I'm still trying to find it. Because I, I think still it's, um... don't know if I'm <clears throat> doing it the right way. How do you ever know as a parent? I, d- I don't think there is a right way. But whenever I've cried in front of my kids, I always think... I'm just showing them how to be a human. Like, yeah. I don't want them to think I'm a robot and that I know how everything works and that I'm always getting it right because I know I'm not I'm cocking up left right and center and struggling through bits and then doing really well with other areas of life so whenever I've cried I've thought you know I always say to them either like this is why I'm upset or I'll apologize and say sorry guys mum just you know had a flip out there but I think I'd rather them see me as a human rather than me going nope it's fine everything's fine and then them maybe when they're older thinking am I meant allowed to show emotion I don't know I'm still navigating that one too but I think I don't think it's a bad thing to show your kids that you're upset I mean I do and we talk very openly about everything my worry is always I don't want her growing up thinking that all relationships fail Mm. because I think that's as a parent that's I feel like my responsibility is to sort of guide her through life and I feel like I worry that that's what's going to happen that she can think oh the things go wrong you know and she's going to go into relationships when she's older perhaps not with an open heart and that's what I don't want to happen that's where it's tricky I think because you and Lee have such an amazing friendship I don't think that she will because she sees two people that still really get on and are great friends and have so I think so I mean how is your heart today how are you doing how are you feeling um I'm good actually I wasn't good you know yeah (laughs) we've had conversations yeah um, and as I said, I am sensitive, but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm fully healed, Yeah. <laughs> but I am getting there. I'm also, for the first time in my life, I'm doing therapy, which I've Good. never done before. Because I was reading about this in the book. You were saying even back in your 20s, there was a period where you were thinking, I should probably have therapy and you didn't. Mm. So what, what's been the change to make you do it this time? I think I always thought I could solve everything myself. Yeah. Like, I think because everything that happened floored me, mm. like literally floored me, um, I then wanted to sort of start to understand why there seems to be a pattern as well, not just on the other side of it, but on my side, why why I allow myself to sometimes perhaps try to fix things and make things right. Because I think I'm a bit of a fixer with people. I try to fix people, you know, and sometimes it's, well, to my own detriment, not always, but I think that's what I'm just trying to understand. And I don't know if some of it is to do with the fact that perhaps because I've been working from such a young age, that maybe my persona and the way that I am is always to be like, everything's great, everything's fine. And I don't, I'm not always accepting of things when they're not. 
and you're highly capable. So you can move through stuff and keep working, keep showing up for people, keep doing your thing because you've done it your whole life. So I I totally understand that feeling because sometimes I forget it's all right to just sort of fall apart a bit and for it all to go to shit. But I think... But when I We're do that, used to that, I panic. Yeah, you know, and I think because I'm because I'm I I'm not the sort of person that would normally do that. I'm also, as I've said, you know, to you before we've spoken about this, I throw myself into something. When something goes wrong, I'll learn a new skill or I distract myself. But that's also avoidance, so I'm not always facing it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. this, these are all the things I'm trying to work through with therapy. But I'm I'm actually really enjoying it because I'm learning so, so much about myself yeah. that I hadn't even looked at myself properly. You know, and I don't really want to make... They're not mistakes. You would, you can't stop yourself from making mistakes again, but I want to know that I can be the best person I can be emotionally yeah. for my next relationship. And also as a mum, mm. because that's the other thing as well, is I just felt like Betsy, I can't... There are some things I wasn't able to talk to her about. And then also you just don't want to burden your friends with it. So my friend said, suggested it and said, why don't you try a therapy? And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I actually feel like I'm getting a lot out of it. So I feel in answer to your question, so much better than I did. I'm so So glad. much better. I mean, it's it's even interesting hearing you talk about the next relationship because mm. obviously as a friend you go, I know you're going to meet someone and it's all going to be brilliant. But when you're in heartache, it's almost impossible to think ahead of the day that you're in. I've been there, obviously. It's just all-consuming. So it's even amazing hearing you saying that. And I wonder how you feel approaching that subject in terms of trust because obviously you're not just going through heartache there's been lies and deceit and all sorts going on with your past relationship and you have to heal from that and learn to be able to trust other people and that's really difficult you know I've had that different areas of my life where I feel people have treated me very badly and I don't feel I can trust other individuals and I'm still learning to do that and learning to go no it's safe I'm okay to do this You know, how do you feel moving into that? Well, this is what I want to try and work through because this is what I was really concerned about. And I've always gone into any relationship with a massively open heart because I just always think that people are going to be honest and loyal and because that's how I approach everything. And you start to realise that we're not all the same, you know, and I think it will be a little bit of an issue, but it's something I'm just going to have to work through and just at the time when the time's right. But I am open to it. You know, I'm I'm kind of trying to just accept that it was a, just a little blip in my life and I've just got to accept it for what it is and what it was and learn from it and grow from it. You know, you learn about yourself more and try and take the positives out of it rather than the negatives. And for me, just to make sure Betsy's all right, really. Yeah. That's the main thing. I'm worried about her being okay and how it will affect her going forward. You know, because at the end of the day, as, as sensitive as I am, I'm also a bit... I'm a tough old cookie. Do you know what I mean? I just... I, I'm not prepared to compromise you know my morals and my beliefs just to be in something yeah you know it's um I always think that good will come in the end you know well especially to people who do good and are good people like absolutely I try to be and you know and I just but I did download a dating app the other day (laughs) but I haven't gone on it I'm too scared so that'd be your first bit of online dating it would be first ever wow I don't know if it's for me well, it's, it's so worth a, weird. It's worth a try. Isn't I it? don't know. I just, 
I downloaded it and then I felt really awkward about it and I just thought, I don't know if I can do this. I'm excited. But I want to come and look on it with you and do some swiping. Do some swiping on my yeah. behalf. <laughs> but a lot of my friends, I know it is the modern way, but I'm also very old-fashioned. Yeah. Yeah. Like my morals, my values, the way I approach relationships, it's so old-fashioned. You know, and that's also one of the issues that I've probably got is that I, like I said, my parents have been together forever. So that's my benchmark of like, you know, I, for me, I think it's all a bit of a Disney fantasy. Yeah. But, and the reality is it's not like that. It's really hard why, work. It is hard yeah. work. You know, you know what it's like. Yeah. It's hard when you're in a relationship. But yeah, I, I, I'm getting there. I'll be ready soon. I just don't know if I'm ready to swipe just yet. <laughs> this is but I'm definitely getting there because I wouldn't even have spoken about <clears throat> no, it. Of like two months ago, I wouldn't have even considered it. No, I know it's, but, but I think that's a huge. Haven't you benchmark. got any mates you can set me up with? Do you know what? I don't know if I've got anyone up to your standard, Denise. I need to have a proper like. Think I'm very about basic. That one. No, I'm not sending any old <laughs> sort of toe rag your way. It's got to be the right kind of person. One with a job this time, please. One with a job. <laughs> I'll get you one with a job. Yeah. Uh, I'll get one with a job. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I think it's really amazing again that, like, well, I really appreciate you talking about it today because we've been doing this podcast for four years. We have not gone there with heartache. I don't know why. Like, we've... Oh, we, it's the worst. It's the worst. Like, we talked to Freya North about it a teeny bit because she had had someone ghost her. That was it. Mm. As a grown woman, she had met someone in her village and he just literally ghosted her. And she was like, oh, my God, I thought this was a young person thing. Like, I'm a grown woman. This is bizarre. And I was like, why haven't we delved into this a bit more? And I don't know why we haven't. I'm not, I'm, I don't know why. I mean, but I just think it's a really valuable subject to talk about because we'll all go through it. Oh, it's I've horrible. been through it countless times. Honestly, when I look at all my past relationships, I have been consecutively dumped by my husband. I don't think I ever did the dumping. So I went through years and years of heartache and it does chip away at your self-worth. And there'll be people listening to this who'll be in the same position as you or will have been through it years ago, but still hold the feelings of, you know, you don't forget certain things that people say to you, for instance, you know, if they make remarks or if it's just sort of something that's actioned that you don't forget where you start to question your own worth or you know, why weren't they happy? What's wrong with me? I certainly felt like that coming out of one long relationship. Like, what is like, what is faulty with me? What is wrong? And of course, that's not the case. But when you're in that moment, you feel like it's you and you you hold on to all that stuff. And I just think, you know, you wrote this extra chapter in the book that you weren't planning on writing. The book was mm. delayed by um, quite a few months so you could amend it and put your most recent life events in there. And can I be honest, the only reason I I did put that in there is because, you know, I've felt that I had to speak about it because we had worked on television together. So Mm. there's obviously an interest from people. And I just thought I need to be quite honest because I can't just 
you know, it's not something I could leave out of the book because the book was just about to go to print the same week that I found out everything. So I was like, you've got to hold this book. Yeah. I can't release it. But it was horrible. And heartache is horrible. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've got. It hurts just as deep. You know, and it's I, loads of people have messaged me on social media, other women and men have gone have. through it. You know, those nights of just sitting there on my patio, three, four o'clock in the morning, just feeling like drained and empty and just like thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next week because you just feel so broken. It's horrible. And it's also very physical. I think we underestimate. It actually hurts. It hurts. Like I couldn't breathe. Like I phoned one of my friends one night and I just said, I felt like someone was sitting on my chest like literally could not breathe because you get that knot, we call it the knot, you know, in your stomach. Yeah. And it just won't go. And you're just like, when will this feeling leave yeah. me? And it's awful. And you can't function. And I'm, and the thing is, again, because, I, because of being in the public eye, you also just want to get on with it and you just want to be seen to get on with it because you just want all the press stuff to, yep, go away. to go away. You know, I didn't want all of it. I was like, I don't want all of this. It's just, it's... I'm going through something personal. I get that there's an interest. I get it, you know. And also, I've put it in my book. I get it, so I hold my hands up. But at the same time, there was all the other, you know, trying to stir the pot. You know what it's like with yeah, certain journalists. And and it's just you just want it to go away and just be able to try and get over it. And it's very, very hard when everybody knows your business. Like I remember one day I went to the post office and I went in, you know, and the woman behind me, I mean, lovely lady, but she was like, how is everything? And she went, I think you should get back with him. And I just oh, thought, God, you Marty, don't even know babes. what's happened. Because <laughs> like, nobody knew at that point what had happened. And oh, I was just God. like, I literally wanted to scream and go, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, but it's people have an opinion and everything. And I get it's part and parcel of the job that we do. And, you know, we take the good bits, so you have to take the bad bits with it. But that that actual feeling is just the worst a pit and also yeah, and I, no... thought I, and I honestly Fern I thought I was never going to go through it again yeah because I literally just thought this is you saw what I was like yeah I know this is me done I'm done for the rest of my life so it floored me and also it just yeah it just was the worst because I thought this is that feeling I had years ago that I never wanted ever again mm. and I've got it again <laughs> yeah and also I think having to look back on your past and go what bits were real and what bits weren't yeah. and having to question like seven years having yeah. to question a whole period of time yeah is brutal but you know I, I love that you again like seeing you as a friend that you throw yourself into these new hobbies like golf became this whole new thing for you after the breakup of your marriage now you're getting back into DJing and you're really like obsessing about that have you found out, I know you just touched on this a moment ago, that fine line between you doing it as a distraction to not think about it versus this is a really healthy thing for me to take my mind off stuff, but also to be doing something physical, whether it's golf or DJing, something that uses different parts of my brain. How have you got the balance with that? Well, I think like with the golf thing, for instance, that was really good for me at that time because it got me out and got me out walking golf courses, which is just walking in itself is great and yeah. healthy for the mind and for the soul. So that was amazing. I learned a new skill. I made a whole new group of friends through the golf circuit. So that was a really brilliant thing to do. But I just become, I became a bit fixated with it. And I just was, all I would do is just play golf. But then at some point, like I said, you do have to sometimes sit with yourself and just, you can distract yourself to a certain point. But sometimes, are you just delaying the the heartache? You yeah. know, and you have to sort of sit and go through it a bit, which is what I've taught myself this time. So I'm allowing myself 
if I have a day, and I still get the odd day where I feel a bit flat or I feel a bit sad about what's happened because that's only natural. It's still quite raw. It was only a few months ago. I do allow myself to have that feeling now. I think you told me that. You said to me on the phone, you you said you've got to embrace the bad days to enjoy the good days. Whereas what I was doing before was filling my days with everything. But, you know, and then you'll get caught off guard because suddenly, you know, it happened to me last week. I was doing Steph's Pack Lunch in Leeds. I came home and Betsy was at her dad's and I walked into an empty house and I just had this sinking feeling when I walked through the door. And then I just thought, OK, this is what it is. I am going to be on my own tonight. I've just got to sit with it, ride it out. And, of course, then the got up the next morning, I was totally fine. Yeah. So I'm learning to do that. It's really hard. <clears throat> and although I dispensed that advice to you, I don't always do it I know. myself. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking, You're very oh, that's really good advice. advice I gave to Denise there. I should be doing that more. Because I even did it this week, you know, not with heartache, but I was just having a few days where I was feeling so overwhelmed. And I was going, I know that I'm putting work in and creating new projects that I don't even have the time to start because I'm distracting myself from something and it's probably something really obvious that I know and it's from the past and it's stuff that I still need to fix because I don't think we ever get to a place where we're like, I'm done, I'm fixed, I'm all fine now. I think there's always little bits of work to be done and I can see when I'm filling my diary and I go, why am I not just going, I can just feel these feelings rather than like pushing them to the bottom of the pile and going, no, 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 I'm going to do some emails or work on this other project, you know, it's so easy. And, you know, it's easy for all of us to distract ourselves. We can go on our phone and go on social media. We can start reading a news story about something and we've totally forgotten about that thing we were feeling, which, like you say, delays it. You know, we're going to have to deal with that stuff down the line. So you might as well just either sit with it or do some therapy or, I don't know, that's why I like having these conversations because I think one of the best things is knowing that other people are going through it as well because it's such a lonely place to go, oh, my God, look at everyone on social media doing all these brilliant things and looking happy. And then you go, and I feel like this. We know that's fancy land, but... One of the best things I did, if so, if anyone's listening and they're going through heartbreaks, I did come off social media for five weeks. It was such a blessing. Like, I just got to that point where I had so many other people's opinions and people messaging me and, you know, and I just... I, one night I just thought I'm just going to come off it and it was that was a really great thing to do I took myself off to Spain I went on my own nobody knew that I went and I've got a little apartment there and I just sat there I went for walks and I cried and sobbed just did my part I got it all out <laughs> and just that was such a brilliant thing to do and when I came home I felt different mm. and I just I was in the moment with everything I wasn't on my phone all the time I got so used to not having it that when I was at work and people were on their phones, I found it a bit annoying. Because yeah. I was just like, hey, guys, I'm talking. And they were all like looking at their phones. And it was that was really good to do. That's a really healthy thing to do is just take yourself away from all of that. Because you look at people's lives and they all look perfect, especially when yours isn't perfect. And it makes you feel 10 times worse. So I just thought, I'm just not even going to look. And it's all a fantasy. It's all rubbish. I mean, it's all rubbish. I mean, even if you'd rubbish. have looked at my Instagram over the last three years, because I was so in love and thinking everything was all great, you can look at that and think, oh, wow, I want her life. But I wasn't having a perfect life, far from it. Yeah. I just, you know. This is it. We, Me and Jessie were talking about this this morning and sort of I was saying I feel really overloaded by information and and opinion and images and I just need a bit of a break. And I think it's really strange. We've all normalised you know, these, the how we use our phones. Like, even if I think back to when we went to Ibiza 11 years ago now, when I met my husband, and 
we I don't remember looking at my phone once. Social media, I wasn't on social media then, I don't think. Maybe I was on Twitter, but I certainly wasn't checking it. I think we took one of those throwaway we cameras. We took a throwaway camera. <laughs> I think I even had like a proper camera. It was like a digital camera, I'm pretty sure. But it felt like looking back at that weekend, that was very free because we were just in the moment and we've just normalised this obsessive checking, checking if someone's WhatsApped us, checking to see if anything's happening. And because it's so normal that, you know, everyone's doing it, we don't stop to check ourselves. And I saw last week Matt Willis had said, hey, you know, I'd said um, back five months ago I was taking seven days off of social media and I loved it so much I'm only jumping back on now. It'd been like, yeah, five or six months. And I thought... God, you know, that seems extreme, but it used to be the norm that we yeah. would be like that. Why do I feel so, like, I I can't, you know, I guess I have sort of work insecurity. Like, oh, my God, if I'm not seem to be doing things, it will all go. But, but I think it is different because of our job. Yeah. We do, you do have to use it for your job to advertise and all of that. That's That's fine. I think it was just... What I found is everything became so much more personal than that. Yeah. And that's, that's what I struggled with. You know, everything that I put up, even if it was just work-related, people were just saying, oh, your eyes look sad. Oh, you know, God. Or, or you look too happy today. You're obviously not bothered about oh, your breakup. What? And I was just like, oh, do you I know what? Away. I'm just going to take myself out of it. So it was a really healthy thing to do. It's really I'm just healthy. trying to approach, you know, I'm nearly, I'm 48 soon, so I'm just trying to approach everything differently with the knowledge that I've gained over the years and just thinking, right, so when I've been through it before, what did I do then? And I remember when I did split up with Jay and I was heartbroken in the 90s, I wallowed in it for too long. I did that to myself because I took myself to that place and, I, and you know, I made myself more sad, I think, because I sort of... Whereas now what I'm trying to do is make myself... In, when I am sad, I go with it, but there are times when I know there's no reason to be, so I'm just trying to embrace the good times and not... Focus too really much healthy. on it, but it's it's hard. It's not yeah. easy to do it. It's hard, but I do feel in a better place for it. And also, if anybody would have asked me even a few months ago about would you do therapy, I'd go, I don't need it because I always think I'm quite good at you know solving things myself. But again, I think well, yeah, I should. I've got to be open to it because I want to learn more about me. Also, because you've got that trait that I share being a bit of a fixer. Yeah. You're so used to helping other people that you think, well, I don't I don't need any help. I'm the one doing it. And it, and then you feel almost, um, I wonder what it is for me, like a sense of I'm asking too much of someone if I say, you know, even with someone that you're paying, a therapist, I need to offload, I need, I need help with this. There's still a sense of, Oh my god! This how, why is this person helping me? Because you're so used to being. It's like a role reversal. I yeah. still struggle with that. Yeah, I mean, my therapist was um, was a lovely lady, and she was way on holiday, and I've really got a bond with her now. And I said to her, "Well, we won't do a session this week because I don't want to interrupt your holiday." And she was like, "No, you're being too nice again." She said, "Like I want to. It has to be consistent with you." And I was like, "No, but I don't want to interrupt your holiday." And she said, "But this is again. You're doing it. You're people pleasing. You're being too nice. You're being too. You've got to learn to say no and to have boundaries." Mm. Do you think that people pleasing thing is also due to starting work young? Because yeah, you, I do. I think like being a kid in that world, you do get taught you've got to be polite. Yeah. I was always taught shake hands when you go into the audition room and and always be switched on and be switched on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I am. Uh, that's where people don't see the sensitive side of me because you would always look at me after something big like that's happened and I'll put on a smile and I'll go and do my job. 
but I'll be hurting inside. But that definitely comes from being a child performer because that's all I ever knew. It's like, well, you paint on, you smile, and you go and you sing and you dance. Yeah. You know, do a little tap dance and make them laugh. Because you were doing the show at Proud all through this yeah. time of heartache. I mean, that must have been excruciating getting up on stage and doing that. Yeah, and also, do you know what? Because I'm such a, like, passionate performer when I sing that... You know, it comes from a deep place for me. Like the lyrics of the songs I was singing, I was just standing there sometimes thinking I just wanted to cry. Yeah, it was horrible. But, you know, I got through it and I did it. And in in a way, again, it was a distraction. So it was sort of not a bad thing to do. But I think it just delayed everything. Mm. It delayed all the emotions until I would say probably around Christmas time when I was just on my own that it all really hit. And then that's when I just fell to pieces a bit. But... I'm fine. I'm, I feel all right now. Yeah, I spoke to you loads. You honestly have been so amazing. Well, you know, you, you sent me a little healing box. I did with just crystals and sailing. <laughs> Such an old hippie. Such a hippie, but I <laughs> loved it. And also, you know what I'm like because I'm so not normally like that. I know. And I got this little box, and I've got my crystals now up on my windowsill, and I saged my whole house. Yeah, I was like, you need to sage that house, <laughs> babes. You need to get that energy out. I know, and it was just honestly, it was lovely. And like my close friends, like you, like Kimberly, all my really good friends and my friends that I've known from when I was younger have been so lovely that you just you that's what gets you through because you yeah. just it's lovely yeah. you know and also having that knowing you can speak openly and say to someone like I mean I've spoken to you at times when you've said you've had really awful days and I've had terrible days and you can be so open it's really you know, important because I was scared to talk to people as well because yeah. I just I suddenly had this thing of like oh I don't want something to come out in the press and you have all that to deal with so yep. you're just trying to keep your mouth shut not say too much and but yeah it's nice to have good friends you have to I think it's sad to have that support network the other thing in the book that I found really interesting and that I loved reading about was your sort of confidence growing with singing and I've always you know loved hearing you sing and knowing that you've naturally got this brilliant very booming voice but you haven't always felt like that and you had a bit of a sort of confidence crisis with singing back in the day. And actually doing The Masked Singer was a real big boost for you and hearing all the commentary around that and how much people loved hearing you singing. And I really loved that, that, you know, because sometimes we can be really good at things but be terrified to show them to other people. Or well, it's like your art. Express it. Yeah, I always feel nervous showing people my art. Yeah. Incredible artist. And I always say to you, why don't you, like, I sell know. these, do an exhibition? It's too nerve-wracking. But it's not, I mean, it's amazing. Mm. It's such a talent. But I think with the singing thing, I again, I did that to myself. It's a bit of imposter syndrome, I guess, where I just always thought, I think because I dated men in the music industry when I was younger, I always felt like that was their thing. And, you know, I was the presenter and you, you kind of... I pigeonholed myself, really. It wasn't even the press or anything that did it. It was just me. Um, and then I got myself into a situation where I sort of lacked confidence. And I think that I was all right if I sang, if I was playing a character, because I could hide behind a character. But if I was just being me, I found mm. it really scary. And that's why doing The Masked Singer, when it came about... Because I was in, in Australia when I saw the Australian version. And then I knew it was coming to the UK and they asked me to do it. And I think it was probably the first person to sign up and say yes because I'd seen the show there and I thought this will be interesting to just see how I'll feel and I loved it 
Yeah. It gave me so much confidence. It's so good. Yeah. I think sometimes to get confidence, you just have to do the thing, don't you? There's no shortcut yeah. to it. You've just got to do the thing. Yeah, exactly. I always remember I read Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. I you know that, that book. book? It's such a good book. Is it Suzanne Jeffers? Oh, I can't remember. But that, for me, was a bit like, yeah, just you got to go for it. Yeah. And also, I think age for me, getting older, because I realised that if I don't do these things now, then I'll miss opportunities you know, and when I was, all the opportunities were presented to me in my 20s, I said no to a lot of them, stupidly. But now I'm older, I'm like, just grab every opportunity and just enjoy it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You've got such a wicked voice, you've just got to keep, like, doing singing projects. Thank it's amazing. you. Well, I am, I am doing more. I've started doing some writing as well, which good. is good. But again, I'm only, I'm doing it purely for fun and just yeah. to express myself. I'm not doing it because I want to have, like, a number one record or anything. And you're playing golf tomorrow? Playing golf tomorrow. With um, your bad toe. Oh, it's fun. I've lost a toe now. I mean, this is tragic for me. Literally stacked it outside my house. And, yeah, my big toe now is now pretty much hanging off and it's so painful. So we're going to get you golf shoes with an open toe <laughs> and off you go. I know, but I've got the gala dinner in the evening as well. And I was oh, like, this God. is not a good look for an Essex girl because I've got my plaster <laughs> all over my toe, my strappy high heels. It's not a good look with the gammy toe. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, Denise, I'm so happy to see that you're, wherever you are on this sort of journey to healing, it's beautiful to be able to talk to you about it all today. And I just really admire and appreciate your honesty, especially on heartache, because I think you know we haven't really gone there on the podcast and people are feeling it it's all universal. over the place. It's so universal <laughs> and it is horrible. There's no getting away from it. So I think sharing your story on it is is so powerful. So thank you. Thank you for having me. But what I was going to say is what people have to remember that heartbreak and heartache, it, you grieve yep. in the same way you would if you lose someone if they die. But it's just so much harder because that person's still around. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that's what people don't realise. It's all the same emotions and the same feeling as you do properly grieve. Mm. Um, so you just have to allow yourself in the same way you would if there was yep. a death. Got to go for it. Yeah. Get the grief out of you. Yeah. Cry oh. it out. Cry Sage it out. out. Sage it out. <laughs> so there you go. Do you know what? Denise has just got the most brilliant attitude. Sage that shit away. I so enjoyed being able to catch up with Denise and hear how well she's doing now, but also how honest she is about how hard heartbreak has been. Her book, A Bit of Me, from Basildon to Broadway and back, is available to buy, and it is a brilliant read. Oh, and by the way, I did get it right. Yes, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway is by Susan Jeffers, if you fancy reading that one. It is a classic and brilliant book. I'll be back next week, so make sure you're here for that by following Happy Place wherever you're listening to this right now. Until then, a massive thanks again to the gorgeous Denise for this chat and for also being one of the most wonderful people in my life. Thanks, well, to someone else who's wonderful in my life, to producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, who is amazing. Love you, Anushka. And to you brilliant people for being here. Chat soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com